today I am talking to Nadia Biski. Um, she's worked at Equinox for over five years and is currently the SVP of Architecture and Design. And I actually got to shadow Nadia at Equinox in 2019 over the summer, and she taught me so much. So, Nadia, I'm super excited to talk to you today. Me too, Taylor. Thanks for inviting me to join you. Thanks. Um, so just to get started, I was wondering if you could share a little about your career journey. Like, um, like how did you get to where you are? Of course. Happy to. Um, so... Both my brothers were contractors and having seen, having grown up and seen them in the built environment, that's what informed my decision to go into design and do architecture. And so I've basically been practicing architecture for the last 25 years and mm -hmm. working, working in a firm primarily in Australia that did high-end residential work. And then when I followed my heart to New York uh, and moved over here, I shifted into the hospitality world and doing commercial work. So mm -hmm. very, very large scale projects, hotels, um, residential towers as well. And I think what I loved about the shift from high-end residential to the hotels was the scale and was the fact that you took out a lot of the emotion because it was a business approach with regards to the budget and the design. And I've had the good fortune of working at two wonderful architectural practices, interior design practices as well, before I joined Equinox. And as you mentioned, I've been here for just over five years now, and it's, it's a wonderful experience here. Wow, that's, that's really cool. How was... Um so you mentioned you followed your heart to New York. How was the transition from Australia to New York? It was actually tougher than I expected and mm -hmm. primarily because of the growing up with the metric system and over here it's still imperial. <laughs> and, and I know that sounds so simple to people but when you're practicing architecture, there's standards and sizes and you uh -huh, just learn uh -huh. them. You know, automatically, you know, a countertop is this high in the kitchen and the bench top is this deep and the dining room table is so high. And then when you suddenly have to flip it to feet and inches and have, um, you don't have decimals anymore, you have fractions, it mm -hmm. actually play, it plays with your mind in the beginning. Let's just say that. Wow, okay. <laughs> that sounds tricky. And then as an architecture and design specialist, like how, how did you get to Equinox? I, as I said, I was, I was working in the architecture and interior mm -hmm. design world. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered what it would like, be like to be on the client side of the table because when projects come to a design firm, the location's already decided upon, the budget's already decided upon, the schedule, a whole lot of decisions that go into the business aspect of the project is formulated and then you are given the project and then you design it and you meet all of those parameters for your client. And growing up in the architecture world and working on these large-scale hospitality projects, 
something I should have mentioned earlier is that you can't do everything and there are so many different aspects of architecture that you don't realise. There's the design component that everybody is familiar with but there's also the business side of it and the management mm -hmm. side of it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that definitely attracted me in this field and I just naturally moved into that area. And so as an extension of that, I was very, very curious to understand that process before the project landed with the design firm. And a, a former colleague came to me and basically said Equinox was looking for this person and would I be interested? And the answer was yes, because it was everything that I was hoping for in terms of my professional growth. And mm -hmm. I met with my current boss. We got along so incredibly well and everything we talked about felt right and my instincts felt that this was the right next journey for me. And so that's why I'm here today and it's been an amazing experience. It's definitely met my expectations, exceeded my expectations, everything that nice. I wanted to learn. Everything I've wanted to learn, I've learned, but there was so much more that I didn't know as well that I've been exposed to here. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so could you please just kind of share with our listeners, like, what are some of your responsibilities and your daily routine at your job right now? Of course. I lead the architecture and design group which is mm -hmm. one facet of the development group. And so the development group is responsible for finding the locations of the clubs, um, doing a lot of research for what area we're going into, understanding the demographic, what the membership is going to look like. There's, there's a lot of science that goes into this decision process. And so they do that research and then they bring the possible locations to me and my team and we look at feasibility studies. Can we fit a club comfortably in that retail area? We have specific ways that we lay out the club's specific adjacencies, you know, floor areas mm -hmm. that we need mm -hmm. to meet. So my team takes that over and then if a project is going to be successful and we're going to launch, then my team engages outside architects and designers and MEP engineers and acoustic engineers, basically the professional team that it takes to build a club and design a club. And we manage that process. So it's, it's, it's a lot of management, project management, specifically for the architects. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you don't have that training and you don't have that background, then it's very difficult to manage that professional team. And then we also have internal designers. So sometimes we will select all the finishes and materials and furniture. Sometimes if it's a high-profile project, we'll engage with an outside designer. And we do that. We did that for Hudson Yards. We did mm -hmm. it for our Flat Iron Club. We do it for our London clubs. But otherwise, we do it in-house. And so we take care of all of that. We purchase our own furniture. And we basically get the set of drawings fully documented. And then it's handed over 
to the construction group who turn around and basically get the club built. So we interact with a lot of different disciplines from the real estate group to the construction group. But what's also very important and who we collaborate very closely with is the operations team because, as you can imagine, if the club if the club can look good and it can be built well, but if it doesn't function, there's no business. So we mm-hmm. have to make sure that, that we design a space that works and functions well for the success of the business. Okay, so there's kind of a lot of collaboration across the team. Absolutely. And that, nice. I think that's the beauty of Equinox. We have everybody under our roof from marketing mm-hmm. to operations to people services to sales to design architecture. I think everything that you can think of we have in our corporate office because we own and operate our clubs. Yeah, I had I had a great time shadowing a couple of years ago because I kind of got a little taste of everything, which was nice. Good. And what's your favorite thing about your industry? It's definitely seeing the lines on the paper and the materials that we select. You know, we'll put them in a box for a design presentation and then the architects do that really thick set of drawings. It's seeing those lines come to life. There is Mm -hmm. nothing more exciting and I never get tired of it. You know, when we visit the club when it's halfway through construction, you just you see it coming to life, and then when you go yeah. at the end and the materials are applied, it it's magic. It really feels amazing, and to know that those spaces impact people every single day that it's built mm-hmm. is a really proud moment. Yeah, super cool. How about your least favorite thing? Oh, <laughs> I I would say. There's a perception that what we do is perfect uh, because architecture is somewhat scientific but it's also very creative and it's not like accounting where there's a mathematical equation and there's an answer to it. It's very black and white stop start. With architecture, it's, it's very organic and I think the frustration sometimes in the job is that Things happen and mistakes are made and it's not on purpose. It's just human error. And because there's a business behind it and there's finances behind it, sometimes the emotions can get a little rough. But Mm -hmm. the good news is if if you're working with a group of professionals, mature people, more often than not, they're understanding. But sometimes not so understanding and and that's (laughs) not fun. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any advice for somebody trying to break into your industry? Oh, yes, so much advice. <laughs> Let me <laughs> narrow hear it, it down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say do as much as you can to understand the profession um, and follow your passions, trust mm-hmm. your instincts, and get experience. Just do whatever you can to be immersed in the industry. Um, 
because it really informs what you're doing more than you realize. And, and don't misunderstand me, college is of the utmost importance. And I think it's very formative years where you mature, you learn to collaborate in a way that you don't at school, in terms of high school. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the real world and the experience you can get out there as well as your education is wonderful and and that's what I would highly, highly recommend. Yeah, the thought of me graduating soon and entering the real world is like so scary. I'm sure, but But I'm excited. Good, good. (laughs) Do you have a funny story from your career journey or when you were trying to get a job or something? I do, actually. It's a really, it's a really old story, but um, it's one that jumps to mind. When I was working in Australia, I think I mentioned that I was doing high-end residential work, so you know, multi-million-dollar homes, and we worked with very specialised craftsmen sometimes. And there was this this guy that could only do this type of aged look to wood finishes and Mm -hmm. he was the the only person in Australia that we could find that could do this and so he was in great demand and we secured him for this project and his work touched so much of this person's home and it was the 1st of April and one of my bosses decided to pull a prank on me along (gasps) with this guy (laughs) Oh my God! And have yeah, he decided he they played me, but they said that he basically walked off the job and wasn't going to finish it, and you know had a, a fit and bye, and I'm not going to finish the job. <laughs> oh my God! And so yeah, it, it was, and I was you know a few years into practicing architecture, I was young, and. <laughs> My immediate reaction, apart from my stomach hitting the ground because I couldn't think of how else we were going to get this done, was I remembered that the contractor had just paid a whole bunch of his bills. And so the joke backfired because I called the contractor and I had him cancel those checks immediately. (laughs) Oh, my God. And when they found out what I'd done, I think the joke was on them, not on me. (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny. I was going to say, you were the one who was thinking. (laughs) Yes, you've got to stay on your toes. But I'll never forget. You know, this is over 20 years ago, and I'll never forget that day. That's so funny. (laughs) What about, do you have, like, a biggest fail? Yes, I do actually, um, and I and I like that. We all do. We like to think of fail as opportunity and and room for growth. But when we first moved to New York, we actually lived in upstate New York for a year, and mm-hmm. I worked for this company. I convinced myself that I would be okay there. They designed schools and institutional buildings and it was nothing that I was ever passionate about but it was an opportunity to come to New York, have a job, work. And Mm -hmm. so I think not trusting my gut instincts 
on this job was probably my biggest fail because I did work mm-hmm. there for a year and I was miserable. I wasn't happy and that comes out in every aspect of your life when you're not happy, when you don't want to get out of bed and go to work. And I I was I just I realized that I wasn't in the right place and I wasn't being appreciated for my work and so Therefore, I just I didn't feel positive about what I was doing, and it was a, a cycle, you know, it was a circle that you just go round and around and around on. So that's when I just said, you know what, I can't do this anymore, and took a risk and looked for another job, and found a great job here in the city, and absolutely no regrets. But whilst it's my biggest fail. It's wonderful to fall down occasionally because I think you have to to learn from your mistakes and to understand what suits you, but more importantly, what doesn't suit you and what you don't want to do. And mm-hmm. if life if life is a perfect journey, that, I find that a little bit scary actually because how do you learn from that? Where do you learn lessons through that journey? Mm-hmm. So it's important to kind of follow your passions and your gut. Absolutely. Well said. (laughs) Okay. So kind of for a last question, do you have any advice for your 22-year-old self for someone my age? Wow. How long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you want to share. (laughs) Of course. Of course. I think the biggest piece of advice for a younger person is don't think that what you're doing has to be your forever after no matter what Mm -hmm. it is Um, but especially professionally it's you're going to explore you need to explore to grow and know that it's okay to test things out and make decisions where you may switch or move in Mm -hmm. a different direction. Also, do everything in your power to have a great mentor in your life, be it friend, family, somebody professional, family friend. Mm -hmm. Have someone to go to that, that knows you but can be honest with you. Because sometimes people are too close to you and they don't want to tell you what you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then two more things. Definitely recognize your strengths and your weaknesses because I don't Mm -hmm. think everybody can do everything perfectly. And to know that that's okay and surround yourself with the people that complement you. So they may they definitely have strengths and weaknesses as well. So if you team up and you're good at one thing and they're good at another thing, it's only going to be better for the two of you or the three of you or the size of your team instead of being um what's the word? Instead of feeling like you're not good enough or you're not doing something well enough. Let people compliment you. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least Start mm-hmm. saving for retirement the minute you start getting a paycheck. <laughs> Even if it's twenty dollars a paycheck, it all adds up. Don't don't mm-hmm. push that off. It's one mm-hmm. of the best things that you can do. Will do. That this is all great advice. <laughs> Good.
And yeah, thank you so much for talking to me today and wanting to be on the podcast. This was super helpful and I really appreciate your time and you're you're the best. <laughs> no, thank you, Taylor. I feel the same about you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I really enjoyed our conversation today. Me too.